0: It was a cold, wintry night in Narnia, and the beaver leaned in, despite all evidence to the contrary, and with a hushed voice, he spoke to the children, and he said, they say Aslan is on the move. It's my favorite line in C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. They say, it's almost like, can I say this out loud? Aslan is on the move. And if you're unfamiliar with the books, Aslan is this character. some a mighty, untamed, ferocious lion. And he is Jesus Christ. And it's this whisper. Could it be, could it be that Jesus is coming back? That God is active and alive and powerful and moving in our lives. I say that to say to you we have a we have a cause for I think encouragement to the church and celebration of our God. Our Christmas Eve services had the highest attendance in the history of our church this year. Praise God. But Attendance for me is a bit of a cold word. For me, we, we came out of a series where we were examining the gospel and also looking at best practices of the gospel. And best I can tell right now is our local church, you, you were practicing best practices because we had 4,053 souls who were on the receiving end of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now that's something worth celebrating, church. Amen. Amen. <laughs> So, hence, I might suggest to you that Aslan is on the move. Our campus in St. John's, God is doing incredible things there. Uh, They just hit their one-year anniversary. God is doing amazing things in Clinton County. Our campus in Alma, they are on there. We are on our third service this morning ever, and. uh, uh, Pastor Aaron and the crew are just doing an amazing job there. And today is their four year anniversary, which is also fantastic, isn't it? Praise God for that. And then. If I could say this to the Mount Pleasant campus, um, I don't know if you remember this. Time goes by so quickly, but it wasn't that long ago. Last fall was the first time in several years that we actually moved back from two services to three services, because we couldn't fit in two services anymore. And I want to thank you guys, and here's why. It's because this idea that like, we're comfortable and cozy and we're fitting in here and it'll be, it's like it's intolerable for us as a local church. It's like, no, There's no way we can stay like that. We have to make more room for more people who are not yet a part of the family of God to come and be invited into his love and his grace. And that took, in this particular campus in Mount Pleasant, more people to say, sign me up, send me, roll up my sleeves. I want to help look after kids, and I want to help to... Direct traffic in the parking lot, and I want to help usher and I want to help make the coffee. And there's just a a whole slew of another sort of wave of an army of people who are like, We're servants of the living God, and we want to make that happen. If you're here today and you are one of those brand new people, maybe over Christmas, maybe you're someone who just committed their lives to Christ, because over Christmas Eve services in every single campus, people for the first time ever repented of their sins and put their faith in Jesus Christ. And if that's you today, I want you to know this you're not a Number. You're not a statistic, even though I'm throwing away around a few numbers here. You are part of the family of God, and we want to welcome you home. There's a lot of great things going on, and right now we're going to launch our first series for 2024, where we're going to be looking at this mandatory scripture in Matthew chapter 28. And by mandatory, I mean it's a command by Jesus Christ, and it's so famous, it actually has its own nickname. It is simply known as the Great Commission. And if I were to put that in probably slightly more uh, bland terms, uh, english words it's just this idea of making disciples and when i say mandatory like jesus says like yeah i'm telling you to go i'm telling you to teach and baptize in my name all that i've all that i've commanded you and i'm telling you to make commandments that's something that you are to do it's not an option for us at all every church has to ask themselves two questions in fact i would individualize it for you question number one do you have a plan for discipleship If Christ mandates it, commands it. do we as a church or do you as an individual, do you have a plan for discipleship? And then the second question is a great one. (laughs) Is it working? Is it working at all? And that's something we are examining right now as a church. Let me ask you this, all campuses, give us a hands up here. How many of you have ever done the January 1st deal where you're like, I need to make a few changes and so here's my New Year's resolution. Anyone give us a hands up, you did a New Year's resolution? Okay, man, that's not a lot of people. We're quite the goal getters, aren't we? Look at us. (laughs) Okay, there's a few hands that went up, that's all right. Well, I've really, really great, no, terrible news for you. Statistics just, they bear this out. By the time we reach Friday, this upcoming Friday, five days from now, pretty much everybody will have given up. So good luck with that, and I hope it goes well for you. That's what, it, that's what the truth bears out. Statistically, on average, by the, by the time we get to the second Friday of the new year, people are like, yeah, sounded like a good idea, but I'm not doing that anymore. No way. Um, Let me look at uh, a verse here from the Apostle Paul, and you can kind of feel what he's talking about here, Romans chapter 7. I don't really understand myself. Tell me if you can resonate with this. I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Give me an amen, church. We can relate to this. I can personally relate to this. It's like I want to slap myself in the face sometimes. Like, I thought we had a talk about this, Alan. I thought we weren't going to do that anymore. And here I am doing the wrong thing or not doing the right thing. or habits seem to go out the window. Boy, does all of that sound familiar. We want to make good changes, but we can't. And Paul looks at himself. He says, That's miserable. I'm miserable, what is wrong with me? I stated my goals, maybe you wrote them down, maybe you said them to somebody else, maybe you bought the new workout gear or the new new planner and it doesn't seem to matter, it's not happening for you anymore. We want to make change, and here's the phrase, behavior modification, generally speaking, it just doesn't work. This whole idea of like, I'm just about a sheer will gonna make myself stop doing that and gonna start doing this. It's a very rare person that's able to simply modify their behavior and have any sense of of longevity or consistency with that. Two phrases from uh, Craig Rochelle. He says, real change isn't behavior modification. It's not working. Real change is spiritual transformation. Amen? Spiritual transformation. There's an author by the name of Jerry Bridges, and he lays out sort of three options I want to share with you. The first one is this, um, God, then me. So when it comes to our lives, we say, okay, God, do your thing. God, uh, so thanks for saving me, and uh, I got it from here. You know, I appreciate the new life, but now it's my turn. So thank you, God, but th- now then me. So I'll make it happen. And what this looks like is like, thanks for saving me, but I'm going to really try to be patient with my four three-year-olds. How's that going for you? Thanks, God, for saving me, but I'm going to stop swearing, or I'm going to stop smoking. Thanks, God, for saving me. Appreciate that, but I got it, I will change and I will modify my behavior and I will make that happen for myself. I got it from here, God, appreciate what you've done. It's all our effort. It doesn't really work out so well. The second option is God, not me. So again, God, thanks so much for the salvation. Thanks for the love. But I've noticed that I kind of need to grow up a bit. I need to get a bit maturity. I got to make some changes. Got some bad habits here. So, uh, you know, give me the good stuff, God. Here I am. Zap me with some of that God stuff. Get some bippity-boppity-boo going because you saved me. I don't really want to participate in anything that would cause me to be disciplined in any way. Just give me the good stuff. Come on, here I am. And that really hasn't worked out for a lot of people either. And so that kind of looks like, you know, I want to get close to God, but the last time I read my Bible was 2004. I don't know if that's going to work for you. I want to be a generous person, but on a monthly basis, I spend more money than I make, and I never really give anything to anybody for any reason. But I want to be a generous person. That's not gonna jive. God, I want my children to follow you, but I don't really initiate or instigate any spiritual conversations. I don't really crack open the Bible. I don't pray with my children. I talk to my teenagers about a verse in the Bible that's blessed me, I just don't do that. But I want my children to be close to God. God, I want all kinds of things, so come on, zap me with some of your God power. The last option, maybe the one that we want to look at, and that's God's through me. It's the beginning of spiritual transformation where God is at work in my life, and I'm responding to him by saying, so how do I partner with you in that? How can I listen to you, and not just listen, but how could I be obedient to you? How can I listen to your voice? How can I lean into your word? Uh, what is my part to play with you, God? This series, I want to invite you into a new habit. Perhaps it is a new habit for you. I'm not here to help you lose 10 pounds. I'm not here to get you to the gym. I'm not here, you know, everyone says, like, I want to read more books this year. That's not my job. I'm your pastor. What I want to do is I want to open up the Word of God, and I want to show you this mandate from Christ that we're called to make disciples. If I live my whole life, if you live your whole life and you never make a disciple, I don't know that I've successfully followed Jesus. Not certainly around this command. If we meet as a church every Sunday and we have record numbers, wow, that's amazing, but we don't make disciples, I don't know if we're really doing church. We have meetings, we sing songs, but we didn't make disciples. Then what do we do with that? There's a lot of things in the Bible where God inspires us and God shows us and God helps us and God encourages us. And then there's a few places in the Bible where God just tells us what to do, like a father telling a child what to do. And our response to that can be summed up in one simple word, which is simply obedience. And that is what it means to be a follower. That is the way of Jesus. That's normal for us to say obedience to God That's a part of my life. And I will gladly be obedient to God. I wanna read a passage in Matthew chapter four, just to give a little setup and backdrop if I could. I don't know if you know this, but just about every Jewish mama wants their little boy to grow up and to become, particularly ancient Middle East. You know, I want my little Johnny to be a, a rabbi. If I could get, you know, my little boy to be one of those, this would be good. And particularly ancient Middle East, very honor, shame, culture. It would be good for the family. And of course, you know, to be a rabbi would be ultimate because it's a sense of national identity. This is their faith, this is their history, this is what they believe, this is all about their heritage and their traditions. And, and then, then my little Johnny could be sort of honored and that'd be good for the family name and all that kind of stuff. And so what happens, particularly the ancient Middle East, is every little boy goes to synagogue, every little boy goes to learn their, their lessons from the rabbi. And the rabbi is scanning and scrutinizing to see is there any promising young boy here that could be called into the ministry? They're, they're trying to discern as they learn through the Pentateuch and the Talmud and they begin to try to recite and memorize the Old Testament, the entire Old Testament to look at their history in terms of prophets and kings and David and Saul and Solomon and, and, all, and all of those pieces and the Shema, Hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. But you're, how are you selected by... to to become a rabbi. In the ancient Middle East, you didn't really fill out an application form and there was no email to put in for your little rabbi school, you know, can my little Johnny go and become one of those? It's the leaders and those rabbis and teachers of the law who are looking at those children. Who's showing promise? Who's got a good mind? Who's got a good family name? Who's going to, you know, meet the standard? Who's who's gonna show that they've got the academics and they've learned their Old Testament? and then the day the day if it were come where a rabbi would walk up to a young student and to say the words follow me oh i mean that kid would be beaming all other plans out the window forget the family business this is going to take priority to come home to mom and dad he's asked me to be a student of oh, the rabbi i'm going to be studying under rabbi so and so and everyone would hear and it would be a celebration The invitation would be very, very easy to understand, this idea that a rabbi would approach the child, not the child approaching the rabbi, it's the other way around. The rabbi seeing something and then saying, come and follow me, very, very clear. Come and follow in my footsteps. It was said, history records that in the summertime, those those students would follow so closely to the rabbi in case anything profound would come out of their mouth that the dust would kick up from their sandals and the dust would fall onto those students. That's how close you had to be in a slightly lighthearted way, but true way. It was even said that some students would follow their rabbis into the bathroom with a pen and paper in case anything was said. Please don't do that with me at all. (laughs) But of course, not everybody gets the invitation, do they? I mean, you can't, everybody can't be a rabbi. What would happen to society? Not everybody gets in. What does it mean if you're passed over? Well, it probably means that your grades weren't up to snuff and maybe your family name's not the best and they didn't see that kind of promise and you didn't make the grade and you're not in with the people who make those kinds of decisions. And that's what makes this passage, that these few verses we're gonna read, kind of remarkable because Jesus is about to approach some men and he's about to give them this invitation. There's this potential to be an apprentice, to be, uh, to be a student, to, to listen, to learn. But these are the guys, church They've already all been passed over. It's not on the cards for these guys. They're all actually a bit long in the tooth. They're too old. It's way past that for all of them. And they've gone and done other things. Jesus walks by the sea, and he sees two fishermen. What a common occupation. They're the streets, the street sweepers of their day. And he says these words, come, follow. And they know exactly what this means. I mean, it's a life-altering, cataclysmic change for these men. Everything that they've ever done and their planned trajectory of their life, like career, pay the mortgage, basic stuff, all of that. Can you imagine the immediate mental calculation of job, boat, mortgage, wife, kids, nets, fish, marketplace, this is what I do. Am I tossing all of that aside in this moment? This guy, Jesus, like, I've heard of this rabbi. Like this guy's standing out. Like when he speaks, people listen. This guy does stuff. It's supernatural. I'm I'm getting me. Follow you. And he goes on further and he meets two other guys. They're brothers, and he says, Come, follow me. It says, not only do they drop their nets and the boats and the, the livelihood, it says they, they leave their father. See it dad? Check it out, Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said. And I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Do you get how big a deal this is? Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets, and Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. So here's the question for you, church Are you a disciple? Not a Christian, not a churchgoer, not someone who attends. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Have you ever discipled somebody? Have you ever thought about that? What would that look like? Would you make disciples? Would you come alongside perhaps a young lad, young teenager, young man, maybe a middle-aged man, and somehow in a way that you put your arm around someone to invest into their life, and somehow that God would use you to produce a mature man of God? Would you look to another generation of young ladies and turn them into powerful women of God? Jesus takes Simon called Peter, his brother Andrew, and James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And then what we see in all four Gospels, we really don't give it much attention. You don't see a lot of sermons that go to this direction at all. There is this disproportionate amount of content in the four Gospels. I'm talking about chunks of chapters and verses where we just see the investment of Jesus Christ into his disciples. We tend not to look at it. We tend to look at the story he's saying, but what is he doing? He's pouring into these men, causing them one day to be future mature leaders. Powerful men in the kingdom of God. So often we think learning this whole church God Bible stuff means I go to a building on a Sunday and somebody gets up and I listen to a sermon and I walk away and I go, yeah, I think that was good. Yeah, I I agree with that. Mm -hmm. I like that bit. That was cool. And somehow I think we've kind of switched something in our minds that we now have begun to think maybe that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and to learn from him. Don't get me wrong. Preaching is good and right and appropriate. And in community church, we will always open up this holy book and we will divide the word of God but I think there's a Western education mindset that has crept in to this idea of following Jesus. And you all know it because 99.9% of us have experienced it personally. This Western mindset of education is, I walk into a classroom, I sit down with my pen and paper or my laptop, and in comes the professional. In comes the Jedi master. In comes the knowledge broker. They know the stuff that I don't know. They're the professional, they're the professor. They've got the letters after their name. They've done something that I haven't done. So I will, and here's the Western education, I will get a download of information into my head. This is what we think following Jesus is. I have to get information into my head and if I can cram it in there enough, and you students now know what I'm talking about, there's gonna come a day where I will be tested on that information, where a quiz is going to come my way so that I can pass the quiz. That's what we think following Jesus looks like. That's not the kingdom of God. In fact, God actually warns against people who have been puffed up with knowledge, they become proud. And yes, the the kingdom of God certainly involves learning, but it is not learning for the sake of learning. And here's this word, it's so key, church. It is learning for the sake of obedience. That's following Jesus Christ. That's why we learn. Churches get messed up. Churches get jacked up. When Sunday morning becomes this idea of a professional information download. And when that's all you do for years and years and you become accustomed to that with a pen and paper like there's some quiz that actually never takes place is gonna happen, eventually you get to the place where you're like, I think I heard this bit before. This sounds familiar. And all of a sudden following Christ becomes quite dull and quite stagnant and we get atrophied followers of Christ. Come on, pastor, dazzle me. Come on, pastor, tell me something I don't know. Yikes. Now we've gotten to a very unhealthy place when it comes to following Christ. Several years ago, I just changed the way that I listened to sermons. I just changed my own posture towards listening to other people preach from God's word. And I made a decision. I don't care if it is the most inexperienced, young, naive, nervous, young preacher who might even be doing actually a poor job I've decided I can always find space for obedience. I don't care how bad they are. I don't care how nervous they are. There's always room for me to find a place where I can go. God, what can I, how can I be obedient to you in what I'm hearing here? And what discipleship does is it takes this word that I've uh, shared, this word obedience, and it adds something to it it adds accountability to it. In fact, would you say that after me? Obedience and accountability. All our campuses, ready? Obedience and accountability. Just a little bit louder, one more time, all campuses. Obedience and accountability. Anything other than that, and churches get messed up. And Jesus warns against it, James chapter one, do not merely listen to the word. And so look what you'll do if you do that. You will deceive yourself instead Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. I don't want to be that guy. Church is full of people with a bunch of information in their heads. But they're not obedient to that same truth. Church is full of people who kind of don't even know what they look like. It's atrophy. It's stagnancy. One of the initiatives that were a part of the Elevate initiative is that we said we wanted to commit to making 200 disciple makers at community church. And here's the thing about that idea. That is not a new idea. That's not some flash in the pan, latest and greatest. Oh, I came up with this great. It's actually an ancient idea. It's Jesus's idea. It's a Matthew 28 idea. It's a kingdom of God idea. At the end of every sermon in this series, which will be five weeks long, I'm going to invite in every single week this entire church to attend what we're simply calling boot camp. It'll be a midweek class for a number of weeks where it will be a training session and launching pad for making disciple makers. We'll have childcare every week and we'll have dinner for everybody every week. It is for baby Christians. It's for mature Christians. It's for people who have been following Jesus for five minutes. It's for people who have been following Jesus for 50 years. It's for you. So we'll have sign-ups in a week or two and I'll keep mentioning it. Real serious about this church. So much so, I didn't want to make a big splash about it and instead, very quietly in the background, what the church has done for the last year that really haven't shared with anybody is I thought if we're really serious about this I think I need to personally own this and therefore also the leaders of our church need to personally own this otherwise I'm just saying something and not doing it and so the boot camp that I just mentioned to you we've actually ran it privately a number of times and so all of our staff and all of our elders and some other key leaders in our church, and kind of small group leaders, community church, community group leaders, um, have already taken it. And so, quietly in the last year, I want you to know that the leaders of the church have already gone ahead of you. And we've had about 170 people already complete boot camp. Boot camp isn't disciple making; it's just training. So we've got leaders who are poised to say, "Let's actually do what we're saying," and not be hypocrites about that. I want you to hear a story of a lovely couple in our church who attended boot camp. Check
1: out. Well, I'm Joe. Um, this is my wife, Alexa. We've been coming to the community church about eight years now. You were very adamant about finding a church and um, you know we, we felt very called uh, to hear.
2: We started searching around um, for a church home about eight years ago when, our, um, when we had our first child. We knew that we wanted to raise him in um, uh, uh, with with strong faith and those values. And we wanted to find a church home that we could um, feel like we had a good family in and that he would feel that as well. And then any of the rest of the kids that we had, we wanted that for them as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I wish it was like an, an immediate impact of us, like, you know, coming here, you know, it did take us a few years, but I think that's when we really found that we were like lukewarm, lukewarm Christians as the more we studied and the more we began to know, we found like, well, that's probably worse than being ignorant.
2: Yeah, I think think, um, shortly after we started coming here, we realized it was so much more than just coming and showing up on Sunday mornings for church that we wanted to really get involved. And I mean, we bring and incorporate our kids into that too. Um, so I think that's has for been... better
1: or worse. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. <laughs>
2: True, um, but I I think that's been important for them to see, though, too, that that's become a very routine part of their weeks, too. So I think that's been good for them as well.
1: We had really like made some like huge changes in our life, just the way that we were going to go out and, and you know truly commit ourselves. It, it, like, w- what do we do next? Like, we didn't know what to do, um, and you know we we prayed about it and it was like four or five days after we had prayed about it we got an email asking if we would be interested in um, taking part in the, the discipleship boot camp
2: and my immediate reaction was no like we, <laughs> we don't have time for that um we are full we can't do that and then like he said we prayed over it um what maybe like a, for like a week and then we did decide to do it and um, it was it was a great experience and I feel like it opened our minds to so much more that you know you might have a lot on your plate but you need to make room for the important things and, and this was one of them and I, I feel like it really it changed our outlook on so much.
1: I always thought like, oh, that's not for me. Um, you know, there someone else has that gift and you know that's you know, someone can do it better and that was a that was a big transformation of of really you know living it out. It's, this is this is a call for everyone to do, and it might just look different, you know, for different people. But we have to be active, you know, to go out there and make disciples.
2: I think discipleship boot camp gave us the knowledge that we had to take some of those things into our own hands as well, and to actually be able to pour into other people and take that, um, I guess, responsibility making sure that we were stepping outside of our comfort.
1: Also though, for ourselves, like a, there's steps where you got to identify in, in yourself with where do I need to grow at? Um, so that, that that those tools have been extremely helpful. They gave us a community that, you know, we could keep pouring into people, but then also be able to, you know, get filled up as well in the process. Um, it is. It is a way forward and a way to, to live life like that. I, don't, I can't explain it. It's just, it's just written in our hearts now um, that, that that is how we're going to you know, move forward you know, for the rest of our lives.
0: A big statement there at the, at the very tail end. I can't explain it. It's just written in our hearts. This is how we want to move forward for the rest of our lives. And uh, what it does is it just puts a different lens on Christianity, moves us out of spectator mode and moves us into spiritual contributors, spiritual leaders. Why does this matter? What's the big deal with Matthew chapter 28 and this mandatory great commission, make disciple things? Well, we see certain groups of people around Jesus throughout his ministry. There were crowds, and then we see an investment of Jesus into the three, Peter, John, and James. We see a massive investment into the 12. We see another investment into the 72 that he sent out and then you've got these crowds and multitudes, crowds and multitudes. What, what group are you in? Are you, in a, are you just one of those followers of Jesus that's in, the, in a massive crowd of people, kind of fascinated? That's what they were. Or are you in a smaller nucleus of following Jesus that he is your rabbi? The crowds, as it turns out, they kind of faded away. Why does this matter? i tell you why it matters to me personally. I've been doing ministry for a good number of years now, and I, in all honesty, I, I, my heart has been broken on more than one occasion because I've looked at people in the church, and I looked at them and I was like, they're solid, they're good to go. Like, they love God, they're here, they're singing the songs, but actually, they were spiritual babies. They were spiritual infants. And they never, they never were able to become grounded in God. And it affected them because life did to them what life does to all of us. And life came and they just got so tossed back and forth that there they were in the context of this community of faith and they lost themselves in it. And I'm telling you, it's heartbreaking stuff. When you look at people, you're like, I'm sure they're good. I'm sure they're grounded. But actually they weren't. And what ended up happening in their lives is I just watched them crash and burn. I watched them like turn their backs on God, turn their backs on the church and a sense of like deception kicking in in their lives where they ended up sort of hurt and then hurting other people and walking out of the church and they are just deceived and embittered and they abandon their faith ultimately. And church, I would look at you today, I would look at you and I would say, what will happen with you? Like, are you gonna be, Will you make it? Like, is your life anchored in the person of Jesus Christ over the long haul of your, of your life? Or is it going to implode? And I watched it, marriages implode, and people are like, I'm out of here, I'm done with this church, I'm done with my husband, I'm done with my wife, and you just watch it, and it's so damaging. Why does it matter? It matters because you matter, and your faith matters, and your, your life matters, and your family matters, and your marriage matters, and your children matter. And the evil one, he hates you, he hates your father. And he'll do everything that he can do to stop you and prevent you. He has no scruples at all. There is no line that he will not cross. There's no lie that he will not tell you. He will not rest until you are in church and you find yourself entitled and offended and stressed and jealous and leaving the church and distracted and angry and leaving your wife or your husband and saying to yourself, I don't know what I was thinking. I don't need that stuff anyway. That was just silly. I'm fine. They all let me down. I don't even like that preacher. She didn't say hi to me. I don't like the way he looked at me. And the enemy will antagonize you and wound you and steal from you. And ultimately, it's just gonna try to destroy your life. And I've seen it too many times. They're not grounded. They're children. They're infants who never grew up. They never became disciples. And God's word for you today is this. I want your feet on the rock, Christ Jesus. That's what I want for your life. So that you can stand. So that you can endure. So that you can persevere. So that you can remain in this loving relationship in the faith. And in order to do that, you're going to need to grow up and mature. And not remain an infant or a child. And then when God says... Here's this mandatory words, language from Matthew. Go make disciples, that there's something in you. Here's obedience that says, send me, send me, send me. I'll go, I'll do it, God. At the end of every single sermon in this series, not only am I going to invite us all to boot camp, but I want to finish every sermon with this, what I call an I will statement. This is giving language and action to this important truth of obedience. I will blank. What are you going to do with what you have heard today? So that we don't walk out of here and go, yeah, that was okay. That was cool. I agree with that. Yeah, he did a good job. That was fine. How do we, how do we move beyond that? So what does obedience look like for you today? In the light of God's word that we've just listened to, that says to you today, come follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. In the light of God's word that actually says, it's God through me. In the light of God's word that says to you today, do not merely listen to the word of God and therefore you're deceived. You don't know what you even look like. Do what it says. Can I lovingly, church, nudge you towards obedience to the word of God? So this is what your I will statement could look like. It's our first time doing this. It might sound something like this. I will pray about how I could be a disciple in 2024. That's a good start. Or I will ask God, is there anybody that he wants me to disciple? Maybe God would have you do that this year. Or I will ask God how I can obey him and not just learn spiritual facts. I will ask God if he wants me to go to boot camp in February. Or lastly, I like this one. When I read the Bible, I will read the Bible differently. I will read his word, and I will immediately obey what it says. Now those are just ideas, but church, I think they're pretty good ideas. I think they'll please God. So church, I want you to stick with me for these five weeks. Don't miss a week. Next week we're gonna dive a little bit deeper into disciple making. All of our campuses, can we stand up and let's worship Jesus Christ.